Hi, this is Dr. Tom Vergus, and this is CQ for Global Leaders. Well, our guest this morning is, in fact, Mark Bassett, who is a fund manager at ISPT. Welcome to the podcast series, Mark. Thanks, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Great. So perhaps you can uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what you do at ISPT for the benefit of our listeners. Sure. I'm a fund manager. Fancy title for someone who caretakes other people's money. Mm-hmm. So ISPT is uh, about a $12 billion investment house owned by superannuation funds, uh, in particular not uh, all-profit to member industry funds. And we specialise in property, office buildings, shopping centres, uh, industrial facilities, car parks, even the odd hotel. Mm-hmm. And my background is actually in engineering. So I'm a structural engineer. Yep. And have worked in many different fields of property, from asset management to development, asset recovery, or dis- distressed asset uh, recovery, and in particular now for the last uh, 10 years here in funds management. Great. So how do you bring your skill set as an engineer into fund management? Well, that's a good question. That's one uh, when people find out I am an engineer and not a valuer or some sort of real estate uh, professional, yep. they're often quite interested to know how the transition happens mm-hmm. and in two ways. I think engineering teaches you how to problem solve. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it uses maths to do that. And maths is a universal language. Mm-hmm. Many industries, whether it's computing, finance, etc., rely on maths as a foundation. And so high levels of numeracy are really built up in an engineering degree. And then the second part is I tried every job that someone would let me try. Right. <laughs> So if a job needed to be done and no one particularly wanted to do it, then I would stick my hand up over the last 25 years. Yep. And that's been from cleaning toilets to working in shops on the retail floor to digging ditches on construction sites, driving heavy equipment on construction sites, being a centre manager in a bankrupt shopping centre, doing distressed property, all sorts of things. So... I've sat in every chair along the way up to this point. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Great. Thank you, Mark. So I think that's really, uh, that's fantastic because you know, the fact that you are an engineer, so problem solving has been a key skill. And also the fact that you've tried a variety of different roles has given you a much broader perspective on things, isn't it? Because that certainly comes into bias because one could be biased in terms of thinking, well, what does an engineer know about funds management? So I'm really glad that you've given us some context around that. And so let me just now start, what's your perspective in terms of why you think unconscious bias is such a topical issue in today's world of business? Look, I think there's a lot of avenues for people to make decisions based on bias. So everyone is on the receiving end of bias. Um, I look a bit younger than perhaps my position uh, warrants. I look a bit older. Um, I look a bit different. 
I'm Asian, I'm female, I'm taller, shorter, rounder, thinner. Everyone's experiencing judgment and Mm -hmm. uh, the media in particular is an avenue that seems to reinforce lots of judgments on Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. and it's become ingrained, I think, and perhaps it's, it's also inherent in our DNA that genetically we make judgments so that we understand our own safety, we understand who's like us and who's not. So there's some programming there, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But realistically, I think everything's become so visual and everything's become so instant and accessible. We're getting lots of data and, and people are getting into the habit of reactive judgment perhaps mm. rather than thinking judgment. Mm-hmm. Great. I do like that. I do like that thing around reactive judgment. And I think your point is that we are making decisions all the time and we are many a time, we're just looking at the external factors, aren't we? Because we're having to make decisions rapidly. And I would think that would be critical for somebody in your role where you're looking at making decisions uh, very fast. Certainly, there's a temptation to make quick judgments and in some respects as you progress through management there's a a somewhat unrealistic expectation that you can make lots of quick judgments Mm -hmm. based on limited information Mm -hmm. at the end of a decision chain and you know when you're investing like we are on behalf of often lower paid superannuants who have to work very hard often in blue-collar jobs or service industry jobs, to mm-hmm. accumulate modest amounts. Yep. You know, we need to be thinking 10, 15, 20 years for those stakeholders. At the same time, everyone wants instant returns these days. Everyone comments on the share market going up or down today. Yep. It is always very seductive to make those instant decisions, but much of our management training in here has been about working on things in advance to be able to make fast decisions, mm-hmm. but through preparation. And I think you know, dealing with people is often different because you have smaller interactions, you're meeting a lot of people for short periods of time and you've got to weigh up agendas and motivations and all of those things. So biases can come to the fore too when you're trying to process uh, a lot about people and, and what they want from you and what they can do for you. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I can see the, it's, it's quite a dilemma, isn't it? That whole thing around short-term gain versus long-term thinking. And I really like what you were saying about your training that you were receiving at ISPT in terms of decision-making. So I'd like to just focus now around what has been some of the changes that you have made yourself after going through the you know awareness raising of bias. Once we went through that, bias program with yourself, that was quite complementary to the internal leadership development program that the company was running, mm-hmm. which about 40 people, 38 people have been through, and there's another cohort to go. What we're working on there is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. We're working on impact on others. We're working on how we actually get into the important but not urgent sphere rather than urgent and important or, quite frankly, not urgent and not important that <laughs> right. people spend a lot of time yeah. on. <laughs> right. And it's really interesting because you then overlay that with how am I reacting to people, who am I choosing to work with, who's like me, 
am I making uh, shortcuts based on those type of inputs rather than who's the best person to help me with this task or problem or strategy or execution? Maybe I should be looking for someone who's not like me mm-hmm. or not like us. Mm-hmm. Am I collaborating based on a set of comfortable, familiar and recognisable traits or am I collaborating based on what is actually needed and best suited to a role? And, you know, we all like to be with people who think like us and and validate us. Mm -hmm. So one specific thing I've done as part of both of those thought processes is bring those together and create a little advisory panel for myself who are people not like me. Okay. Who are based outside of Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Canberra, you know, the markets that I'm working in. Yep. People who might overlap with me but come from an arts background or a design background, a policy background, a creative pursuit. Um, and whilst engineering can be creative, it, it's very mathematical and and uh, structured. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I've been doing is seeking out people to test myself who are not me and who are not my peers, who are not from ISPT, who are not in my network. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I've done is, is set myself the task of meeting different people. Yep. So following, a, if you like, a daisy chain. Mm-hmm. So I may know someone and ask them, have you got anyone interesting in this field or that or just someone that you think I might find useful and then meet that person or have an email correspondence or a, a LinkedIn correspondence with those people. And that may then lead to another person and all of a sudden something useful pops out. So I've introduced the company to a guy who runs an incubator, his own incubator for tech startup. Right. Um, I've uh, gone to a lot more conferences and then made a point of personally interacting and connecting with the keynote speakers at every event that I go to to stay back and meet those keynote speakers um, and establish, if not a relationship, certainly a connection that could become a relationship or mm. lead to other relationships. So I've found you know, part of the, the bias thing is avoiding your own comfort and familiarity, mm-hmm. avoiding your groove and stepping off that and getting out there and seeing a whole range of other people who come from a different perspective. Great. Good. I really like those uh, ideas that you've put into place, Mark. I really like the fact of having the advisory panel because I think that's really uh, interesting how you have all those kind of variety of people there. And I really like the fact that you're making an effort to meet different people. I, I do like that concept. And the fact that you're also stepping out at the conferences to speak to different people. So it seems to me that you have consciously made some decisions to actually expand your network and expand your thinking. Yeah, I think yeah, I had a little out-of-body experience, if you like, um, in that. I, I read something by someone and I thought, who is this guy? It was a guy and what's his perspective? And he was making some large claims. And yep. I asked around inside the company, has anyone met this guy? In fact, he had been into our office five years ago, but we hadn't kept in touch with him. He had some controversial views on on the property market and investing. Mm -hmm. And we got him in and I didn't know him at all. 
Yep. And he sort of came with a bit of a scraggly beard and a bit of a 1980s mullet haircut and a bit of a sort of, if not unkempt outfit. He certainly wasn't like us. Yes. He was in an outfit that was a bit dishevelled. And, you know, I found myself in a visual exchange with one of our other managers Mm -hmm. as we shook this guy's hand and then turned to go to the seats where we sort of looked at each other smirked a bit, raised our eyebrows and, and passed judgment on this guy. Yep, yep. Which was weird because it was my initiative to get him in Yep. and find out who he was and what his perspective was. And I found myself catching myself and thinking about our time in the, in the sessions with yourself and thinking I've just been biased and that was a reaction. Mm-hmm. And even though I was attempting to find different perspectives from different people who are outside our traditional sphere of advisors and commentators and economists and bankers and all these people who have these macro views, I was judging this guy. Mm -hmm. And so I had to then consciously put that in a separate box and lock that away and turn myself back on to why I was there. Mm -hmm. And he was an interesting guy. Right. Some of the stuff was not supported, but he was an interesting guy. He mm-hmm. had a very interesting perspective. Um, are we going to follow him religiously? No. Are we going to keep in touch with him? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of it, I had a, I stayed back with him after others had left and, and established a bit of a rapport. And I thought, you know what? This is a valuable lesson. In, even when you think you're working on your biases, yes. conscious or unconscious, um, reactive judgment is still present. Reactive judgment still needs to be identified and, and dealt with. Otherwise, you close yourself off. So, yes. And that happened two weeks ago. Mm. And, mm. you know, we, we did our sessions with you a little while ago and, yep. and I'm working actively on it. But it's very difficult to put those habits away. Yep. And it's very difficult to be conscious of them all of the time uh, so that you don't slip back into them. Mm. Yeah, I think you know that's that's very true. That you know it's easy to kind of slip back into things, and how do we keep ourselves constantly on the forefront of those things? Which is then you know, uh, which leads me then to the next question here, Mark. So, how are you sustaining these changes? Simple. Uh, you got to work at it. Mm-hmm. Having done many leadership courses over the years and observed people in them, both internal and external ones, there are patterns I think with people. And once you recognize that you have your own patterns that are easy to slip back into, often I reflect on what I observe in others and then I test myself. Do I do that? Is it me? So I've asked that question a lot more in the last two years than probably I did in the previous 10. Mm -hmm. Is it me? It's easy to be frustrated with other people or, or to judge other people or to assume you can do or know things um, that they don't or can't do. Um, But in this biosphere, I think the opening question is, is it me? The answer is, yes, it certainly is. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can't recognise how, then you need to stop and and think about that and take feedback and evaluate yourself quite formally, I think. You know, judge yourself like you're judging other people Mm -hmm. and try and reveal those habits and bring them to the fore. Once you're in that space... You know, the mind's a curious thing. 
when you do things, there will be, as I explained earlier, there'll be an aha moment. Oh, I just did this. That's not what I'm supposed to do. That was poor. That was poor behaviour. That was poor insight. And each time you do that, I think you recognise faster and faster what you're doing and you can intervene in your own mind and recognise what you're doing. Um, without working at that, though, um, we're creatures of habit, as the cliche goes, and I, I think it's so easy to slip back. So attending a course is a great first step, making commitments to yourself and writing them down and doing all of those rah-rah chants that happen in training sessions is all a good start. But ultimately, it's the following day. You know, have you done anything that day? Have you done anything the next week? And then that the really honest question that you need to ask yourself is in six months or a year or even two years, are you doing any of the things you said you would do? If you're not asking those questions, then I do think you're at grave risk of, of actually behaving in mostly the same way. Mm. Mm. No, so, terrific. Yeah. No, thanks for that, Mark. I think so. What I heard you say there is really the it's the power of self-reflection, isn't it? You know, that, that ability to stop, uh, diagnose your own patterns, see how you make your own decisions and being able to recognize your own patterns. And I really like the fact that what you were talking about is just every so often stopping yourself and checking in on yourself in terms of how well you are putting into action the things that you decided to do. It's a really good habit as well to add a, a slight touch of bravery in there. And it's not sort of charge the hill bravery. It's just uh, in your personal relationships with people, be brave enough to ask them a direct question. Did I act appropriately in that meeting? Mm. Did you get out of that meeting what you had hoped? Mm -hmm. Was my mood that I brought to that meeting enabling you to speak frankly? Was my body language good? And so periodically, not after every meeting, um, after every meeting, it's simple to ask, are you happy? Most people will say yes, even if they're not. But maybe you know, every 10th meeting or every 15th meeting or 20th meeting or once a month, just take a couple of people aside and, and ask them, you've had some time with me, are you, is this working for you? Mm -hmm. Are you getting an environment where you, know, you think fairness and attentiveness and, and my self-awareness is, is there or am I prejudging you, pre-deciding things Quite frankly, am I biased in any way towards you or what you're working on? Mm -hmm. mm. That's great. That segues actually very well to our last question, which is really around tips for individuals in terms of how they can work on dealing with their unconscious bias. I really like your tip about checking in, you know, maybe after every 10th or 15th meeting and having those conversations with people in, in the meetings. What other tips would you have, Mark? The first tip is a little bit of acceptance. When we do self-examination, self-awareness, it's very easy to look out, to go outward and assess those around you and say, oh, yes, they've got a lot of work to do on mm -hmm. this topic. Oh, that, <laughs> that, that's an easy judgment to make. So do that because they may have a lot of work to do and you may have a role to help them. But once you're through that, don't get distracted or focused on that. The first tip is to accept that you have room to improve. If you don't do that as your first stage, I think it's fairly much 
impossible to apply any strategies, tactics, logic, thinking to a self-improvement task. So accept that it's you. Mm -hmm. Accept that you need to change. And I do think in some way you need to record what you're doing. Now, some people might keep a diary. Some people might keep a, a mood register. Some people might have a little notebook that they carry around that they jot or they use their iPhone notes. Um, some people may just actually record it mentally. And, you know, I tend to do that. Um, I have a mental list of interactions which I don't think were successful. Mm-hmm. And I go back and check with those people. Mm-hmm. And I do try and recall how I felt, what was my mood going in, what was I doing. And particularly when I felt that I didn't give someone a fair go, prejudged is really important to take a mental stock of those and capture them, either in in written form or mind's eye or your own little personal uh, voicemail note or something like that, and keep those at the forefront. And then when you're going into a situation which is not run-of-the-mill or someone that maybe you're having a little bit of conflict with or someone you're not close to or a new problem that you're trying to solve is actually grab that little set of boxes of unsuccessful things and just test yourself. Am I going into habit mode? Am I filtering people out of this process? Am I happy if they say nothing because I don't really care what they think? Mm -hmm. Am I making those prejudgments? And then go into those interactions hoping to solve, if not all of them, at least tackle one. It's hard Mm. to go into a meeting and tackle 10 biases or what have you. Um, Maybe you shouldn't go into the meeting if you've got 10 biases. (laughs) But tackle one. Mm. And that might empower all of those other people. Mm -hmm. If you show that you're working on that, you know, they may be more forthcoming and you don't need to tackle the other nine Mm -hmm. because you'll do a demonstration in front of them and they'll see an action. And that action will actually change other people's interactions with you. Yeah. You know, that takes a little bit of work. You can't mm. just bounce from one thing to the other. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, that's great. Good. So thank you for that, Mark. I had those three tips that I heard you say was one was is really about acceptance, you know, acceptance of yourself, acceptance that, you know, we need to actually change. So what do we need to do about that? I really like your second suggestion, which was around recording your activity. So actually making either a mental note or a physical note to think about, well, how do I actually come across and what are my behaviors like? And your third point, which was really around being mindful of your actions. And I do like the fact that you said sometimes just being conscious of one can actually help you deal with the others. Those three tips are really useful. Do you have any other final words before we sign off, Mark? Look, I think there's a lot in this that goes well outside work. Just like we're judging work colleagues and and they're judging us, or we're accepting work colleagues and they're accepting us, these things go into our family interactions. The people who are our neighbours in our communities, our friends, and in particular acquaintances who all get judged in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And when you're on in a meeting, you know, it's, it's easier to get up for that. You know, when you're tired and you're after a long day at work, it's harder to do that at home or when you're at the, the school function or when you're in the, the work that you might do with a not-for-profit or at the sports club or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's very easy to try and put on the suit of armour, figuratively and literally at work, and get yourself prepared and work hard on these things. I think it's very difficult to maintain if outside of the job there's not a consistency in that. The habits are really hard to break unless it's, this is a, a human being improvement process, not a an executive improvement program or a leadership improvement program that applies to work. So I do think it does need a whole of life. Um, you know, most of these things boil down to am I going to improve myself and my better self will be present at work, but if I improve myself, it'll be present, you know, in my whole life. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like that. I like the fact that, you know, yes, if we can become better individuals, it'll obviously have impact in all aspects of our lives, right? So, which will then help us make a better contribution to the world anyway. So, no, that's terrific. Mark, thank you very much for sharing your insights uh, with our listeners. I'm sure that they'll appreciate it. And, you know, if they did want to reach out, are you okay if they reached out to you at, at ISPT? Absolutely. Terrific. Great. Good. And thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it. Cheers. You've been listening to CQ for Global Leaders with me, Dr. Tom Vergus. To find out more, please reach out either via phone, email, or our site, culturalsynergies.com.